Today, we sit down with Mike Farah, Chief Executive Officer of Funny or Die, a premier comedy company with award-winning content and audience of more than 40 million people. Farah has produced shows such as Between Two Ferns and Billy on the Street, and he continues to grow Funny or Die with his producing acumen, talent relationships, and industry leadership. Mike sat down with his childhood friend and comedian, Michael Costa, a senior correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, to discuss challenges in the entertainment industry and what's on the horizon for comedy as it relates to social justice and public health. And now, Mike Farah with Michael Costa. So, Mike Farah, what what is your job? That is a great question. I ask myself that often <laughs> as well. Um, my, my job title is CEO of Funny or Die. I've been yep. at Funny or Die for 12 years. Uh, I was hired as the first producer by the founders of Funny or Die, Will Farrell, Adam McKay, Chris Henchy. Uh, I am busy because, you know, stating the obvious, there's a, a lot of change uh, happening in the world. Uh, some for the positive when it comes forward to social justice issues and, and some, you know, is very challenging on the pandemic front. Yep. So what, what we're doing is, you know, we're planning for the future. We're trying to sell as many things as possible, both on the digital and on the long form side and, and just trying to lead the team in, in the most productive way. This is where you are now. I mean, I, I, I don't know your age. I'm 40. I'm 41. You, you know how old I am because you are you. I rem- So just a level set and you might yeah. you might be saying this. Yeah. Michael Koss and I have known each other uh, since I want to say 1988. I was going to say since we were 10, so but that sounds about right, eight or nine years old for me, yeah. Because we met on the Ann Arbor soccer, the, the, the Ann Arbor Hornets soccer team, yep. and yep. I had multiple yep. people this weekend trying to find a picture of oh, Michael geez. Costa with the rest yep. of our Hornets because, and I had my good friend Johnny Mann, who is also on the Hornets, his mom looked, my mom looked. Michael, Michael Casa, always the Maverick. I think you were only on the Hornets for maybe one or two seasons. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I have great memories of the Hornets. In fact, when I moved to Los Angeles, we, we first connect, reconnected, and it was through another Ann Arbor Hornets conversation. But how do you think growing up in Ann Arbor facilitated this insane career you have now? I mean, you... Yeah, I think about this all the time as a stand-up comedian, and I am so thankful that I grew up in the city I grew up in. But from what perspective do you see that? The same. Uh, like I, I would, uh, I love Ann Arbor. I, I still go back uh, four or five times a year. Uh, my parents are still there. My my mom uh, Gretchen and my dad uh, John Farah, and they they both and we grew up uh, going to the Ann Arbor Summer Festival, top of the park. Sure. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to butcher, uh, not butcher it, but I remember reading this uh, biography about the Wright brothers and people would ask them, and I'm not comparing you or I to uh, the founders of aviation, obviously. I will take that. Okay, you, you, you can take it. But they, they said something, someone would ask them like why they, how, where their success came from. And they most often just responded that it came from growing up in Dayton, Ohio, when they did. 
uh, in what, whatever that was, the 1880s or 1890s or whenever they were youngsters in Dayton. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think about Ann Arbor the same way in terms of the university, in terms of my friends. It, it, it just has impacted me greatly, just the way that town has always been progressive. There's always room for improvement, but I just feel between my friends, sports, the, the local video watch. You know, I wasn't like a kid who like, you know, we weren't like the kids who were making films like in our backyard with like a, a VHS, you know, recorder. But we would go to video watch on stadium and just like yeah. spend hours looking at all these movies. I wouldn't trade my, 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 my youth in Ann Arbor, uh, in the eighties and nineties for literally anything. I think one of the things I credit Ann Arbor for is you were exposed to so much through the university. I got into stand up comedy because of the comedy showcase, which was in downtown Ann Arbor. Then there was, my mom took me to see a, Dennis Miller concert at the Power Center when I'm 11. So I'm so thankful that you get exposed to that stuff. But um, you're a big shot in Hollywood right now. You don't have to grow up in Hollywood to make that happen, right? To tell, tell us about the journey from Ann Arbor Hornets to where you are now. I know it's 30 years roughly, but how did you do that? Um, you know, I think uh, I think there's some truth to that. Like, I, I think uh, I think it, people hype up how tough things are because it just feeds into like a simple narrative. And, and I don't I don't like simple narratives. I, I don't I like to be surprised. I think, you know, I, I like to think. And again, there's always room for improvement. I, I like to think that if if people want something bad enough that, you uh, you know, lots of things are possible. Clearly having support and, and the, 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 the foundation that I have in Ann Arbor has been a huge part of it. Um, but yeah, no, we, so went to school, went to St. Thomas, went to Gabriel Richard high school. You obviously went, went to Huron. We were, I feel like we would see each other every once in a while, but we did reconnect more in LA because obviously you, you got to know my cousin William, uh, from playing tennis. Uh, I went to Indiana university, um, and studied finance. And uh, I loved IU. My whole life, I thought I was going to go to Michigan. My whole family went to Michigan, but I kind of had a, a little bit of an epiphany about go, leaving Ann Arbor to, uh, to, to try something else. And, and truthfully, I don't know if I could have made the move to LA if I hadn't gone to Bloomington for college. And obviously, it's only five hours away. And Bloomington is basically like a little bit of a smaller version of Ann Arbor. But that kind of got me out of my comfort zone and, and, and really prepared me. So then when I graduated, uh, I was a bartender and waiter and busboy at Palio on Main Street. Sure. Uh, saved up some, as much money as I could there. My brother had recently graduated from Michigan. Of course, we, we had to write a screenplay together that, that summer. <laughs> so I saved up money, uh, wrote a screenplay, and then in uh, the end of October 2001, just drove across the country. Uh, I didn't really know anyone or anything, uh, but I was very fortunate that when I got to L.A., Within like two days, I just knew I was never going to leave. It just it just felt right. And I've been so thankful that it's felt right. Um, I loved the weather, obviously. I love like the competition. I love the hustle. I love the aspiration of what uh, entertainment could be. I love that you could do it your own way. You didn't have to be any certain way to do it in entertainment. And I think that's that's true in life. You know, it's like it's so easy to look around and kind of compare yourself to others. But in Hollywood, and I think virtually anywhere, 
But in Hollywood, I think it's even more celebrated to just really be your, your true, authentic self. Uh, and it's tough because you have to navigate. You have to like be true to yourself, but you have to be aware of the market. And like there's a lot to balance. But I've just always found that being authentic, uh, doing the work, never like taking anything for granted, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, it, it's just how I've always been. Um, and it's how my parents raised me and it's, it's really paid off in Hollywood. And so I've been very fortunate to just kind of chip away at whatever, whatever this is, but it's, um, if anyone's listening, that's thinking about getting into entertainment, it's, it is all possible. Uh, and if you really want it and you work every day at it, it may not be what you initially set out to do. It might not be a comedian, it might not be a producer, but if you really want a career in entertainment, if you give it enough time, it will happen. Um, and it, the def- definition will be up to you, but it's, um, it is, it is a viable thing. And I think it's important for kids back in Michigan or really anywhere that aren't familiar with it to know that, um, there's so many different ways to have a career in entertainment. Yeah. When you're, you're talking about not taking things for granted, um, Project after project. I feel like when I sit with you even for five minutes, if it's at the Montreal airport gate waiting for our flight, the phone is buzzing and buzzing. New projects, new projects, new projects. From all the things you've worked on, I'm going to name a few and correct me if I'm wrong. American Vandal, Billy on the Street, Between Two Ferns, Drunk History, Prop 8 the Musical, At Midnight, I Love You America, Brockmire. That's not. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um. How do you continue to stay fresh, inspired? I mean, though, I would I would love to have one of those hits. Um, but how do you keep the ball moving? Well, you're only as good as the company you keep, and so it's um, again just like in life. So I'm very for. We have a great team at Funnier Die. We are very fortunate to work with great creators. And then, you know, I just feel like I, I've been very blessed. Um, I feel stories and creators very deeply. I, I, I just feel it very, very deeply. It's just the way that I'm just my, my composition. And so when I connect with someone, I connect with a story. I, I'm just very passionate and resilient about helping that story get made because I believe in it and I believe in the people who are trying to tell it, tell it. And I believe in the, the why and the purpose. And so then you just, you just do it as much as you can. And like, you just, you just don't stop. I, I don't even know what else to say. Like it, I, I don't work any more now than when I first moved out here with like reading, you know, scripts as an unpaid intern. It, it just, um, it's just a, it's just a great way to spend the day. And so you just don't stop. And I just, I just don't get tired of it. <laughs> I remember I remember I was I was looking for a manager maybe 10 years ago. I've been with my man uh, 10 or 11 years ago and you were kind of my first resource. I was new to LA. You had beat me by a couple of years and you knew a lot of people and you had suggested some people. I met with them and then I said what do you think about this person? What do you think about this person? And you said go with whoever's hounding you the most. Go with whoever has been the most engaged with you the most often. And and you said, because this business, you only get something made if you hound, if you're a pest, if you persist. Uh, and I hope this is sounding, you know, but, but you're kind of saying that right now. 
Um, and I've been with my manager 10 years and I haven't sued him yet. So that's good. Today's podcast is brought to you by Retirement Income Solutions, a locally owned and independent financial advisory firm. With professional, thoughtful, and knowledgeable service, RIS provides the kind of compassionate and caring personal service that you want and deserve. Visit risadvisory.com for more information. And now, back to Mike and Michael. Let's talk about money. It's not it's not always exciting, but it is a reality. And right now, during quarantine, I've finished Netflix. Uh, we need more content. You create content. Is there a pressure right now to get everything greenlit and get stuff out? Is it the same? Are you feeling the same? There, there's always a pressure because when, when you work at a company like Funnier Die, which is an independent company, there's something uh, called revenue recognition, which I would not wish on my worst enemy. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's a it's a terrible thing in that. When you, when you have a company that has certain financial expectations, you only get credit for revenue when you actually deliver a show. So, and as you know, you can work on something for years before something's actually delivered, but you don't get credit on the books until you actually go through the delivery. So it's, um, yeah, it's a nonstop thing. And we, um, you know, we, we, and obviously we were on our way to, we were projected to have our biggest year ever before the, the pandemic. And obviously for us and many industries that have been harder hit than even Funnier Die, uh, the world changed. So you just have to, you, you just, what, what can you do? But you just have to adjust, adapt. And, and, um, I did, I said to the team at the beginning of it, you know, I, I think because we've always been independent, we've always moved very quickly, we've always, mm-hmm. Um, we've always been resilient. I felt like we were well positioned to uh, do the best we of any company possible during all of this. And again, not taking anything for granted, but I just think we've built up a foundation. And I personally just have so much scar tissue and scar tissue is a good thing. Like you just get yeah. armor when you in Hollywood, because like whether you're just starting out or whether you've like, like you still get a million no's every single week and you just like get, you just, you calcify. So like the key is like to take those no's, you take them and then you just keep on going. And like, it just gives you even more armor to kind of take, to, to keep going. And so we actually have our board meeting on Wednesday, our Q2 board meeting. And we're put it, we've put together, just our pandemic production reel of just the things that we've made in the second quarter. And just, there's a slide that's just the things that we've achieved in the second quarter. Cause it's not what we thought it was going to be, but like from all this disruption c- comes opportunity. And so I'm very proud of the team for how we've responded and we'll, we'll just keep doing that until whenever we get back to normal. I don't think normal won't really exist ever again, but certainly not until there's a vaccine Will there be like wide, you know, like traditional production as we know it? And I'm sure that's I'm sure you've been having conversations with your show. Yeah, everyone's trying to figure it out. When I was when I was introduced to Funny or Die, I think this is for a lot of Americans, a lot of people, not just Americans, everybody. But it was cute little three minute videos. Uh, I don't even think there was a branding component um, that and you could vote if something was funny or if it died. Take me 
down a little bit of a path of where you where you guys are now, all the different things you're creating. I, I, I believe you're still doing branded content sometimes. I don't I don't know, but tell me what else you guys are doing besides just little internet videos. Yeah, it's it's evolved now that the the two sides of the business are our digital and our long form side. So digital used to be like 25, 30 celebrity videos a month where we were just like running around and it was like little like a mini SNL, like, hey, this celebrity yes. wants to do this, let's go make it. But that was years ago, and and obviously the world's changed and the internet has changed. So now our digital business is we do editorial, but it's less celebrity driven. We have a ton of social content, uh, and then we do a ton of branded entertainment. So you know we'll do we'll do I don't know forty or fifty different branded entertainment deals um, a, a year, and and they've gotten really really good too because we've been able to kind of work with our friends and proactively take things to brands just like we wanted to do a Giancarlo Giancarlo, like yep. in 2006 or seven or whenever that was. Uh, so for example, like we're, we're buddies with Jeff Goldblum and Jeff wanted to do a cooking show. So we actually took that to Kroger's. Everyone in Ann Arbor uh, knows Kroger's. Uh, they're based out of Cincinnati. And, and now we're doing, we've done two seasons and we're talking to them about doing a third season of Cooking with Jeff, which is a cooking show with starring Jeff Goldblum. So it's like a great little, just like premium, short form, very organic kind of like uh, product integration kind of thing. And then on the long form side, you know, American Vandal, Brock Meyer, Billy on the Street, all these different things. Those are shows that we've packaged and sold and produced. And, and we've been very fortunate to diversify our business because just doing digital is uh, it's a very challenging business. It's it's there's not many remaining of like the independent yeah. comedy companies or really any independent digital companies, because uh, it is a very challenging business because so much of the viewership went to the Facebooks and the YouTube. So it's just is hard to really make those ends meet just on the digital side. So we've been fortunate to expand out with our long form business. And it's really just the same idea of like, what's a great person that we can be working with that has something to share with the world that we can put great creators around and go and package it and try and sell it to, you know, the right partner. Um, and we just like, we just don't stop. I mean, like we just don't stop. Like if, so, yeah. oh, if there's a good idea, I think the time, so much of life is timing. As you know, I think the right idea if you just stick with it, whether it takes two weeks or two years, four years, six years, like eventually you just see the path emerges and the stars align for like something to happen. And that's what I just think. That's what you owe the creators, right? Like if they're still right. passionate about it, you know, if the, obviously if they've moved on creatively, you don't want to be selling something that they don't want to do anymore. But if they're still passionate about it, like there's new buyers, there's new money all the time. So you just, I just love seeing the marketplace and seeing how to pull the levers to try and get something made. It's, um, it's, it's weird that I like it so much, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that I do. No, you do. You definitely do. And it, just talking to you, you can see that you do and you wouldn't have, how long have you been a funnier or die? 12, 13 years. And this was a startup. Yeah. Right? Wasn't funny or die just kind of supposed to be this little tiny startup? Yeah, I would. Um, we're, we're unique. I don't know if there's another 13-year-old startup. <laughs> I'm not saying you're a startup anymore. I'm saying. Well, if, we still are because we're an independent company. Like, we're, we're like, because for most startups, what happens, right? Like, most startups go out of business. 
or the yep. the rarest of the rare become like this unicorn, like a Facebook or an Instagram or whatever that become yep. massive. Um, very few are independent for 13 years, just trying to like <laughs> bob, yeah. bob and weave their way to uh, relevancy. But uh, that's that's the that's that's who we are. Let's talk about American Vandal for a second. Um, did I just read that it's not coming back? Is that right? Okay, so sorry to hear that. I love that show. Uh, well, that's what I want. That's what I want to talk to you about. Like, is nowadays is something dead, or because of all the just platform streaming, and you guys created that, right? That was your creation, so you owned it then, or how does that work? Yeah, that the show was created by Tony Yassin and Dan Peralt, who are incredible. And actually, later on today, I have a practice pitch with them for their next show that we're going right. to be taking out. But no, I, I I believe in American Vandal, and we're just um, be amazing if anyone at Netflix is listening to this. Uh, but you know, basically, they it's it's frozen for like another year with Netflix. Okay. They because that that was the the nature of that deal, but. We didn't win the argument, but I've long felt that American Vandal, it's it's a it's one of the few like comedy procedurals like Law and Order. Like there's a reason why there's 17 Law and Orders. You can come up with different crazy crimes under the American Vandal banner for like years to come. Uh, And those guys did an incredible job with it. So I'm we will bring that back. We don't know how or when. But yeah, when, when and when you're working with good people who treat people well and want the right stories out there. I, I mean, season two of American Vandal, I loved, I loved both, but that was about a Catholic school. I went to Catholic school. I played basketball my entire life. Yeah. There are a lot of themes in American Vandal season two that are even more relevant now because of what's going on with the social justice movement. Um, right. So yeah, it's um, all that stuff, but like, you know, you, you, I treat them all you basically treat them all the same, right? You like you, you, you just keep on pushing. Is drunk is drunk history helping educate people, or is it dumbing down America? You didn't think you'd get these t- type of tough questions. <laughs> these, these are tough. Um, I'm sure Derek Waters appreciates it. I have worked on drunk history, but only on the digital side. Copy. Derek and Jeremy Connors, they when they sold that as a TV show to Comedy Central, Funnier Die wasn't really set up yet for TV. Uh, so I've been a, a fan from afar, but haven't worked on the the TV series. But no, I think it's I think it's very educational. I think uh, the the vast majority. It's just like the uh, the the work we did with the Obama administration and between two ferns with President Obama, uh, and the the work you guys do every single night on your show. Sure. Um, there, there's a lot to be gained by educating people in an entertaining way, and and really, I mean, the Daily Show is who started that type of storytelling. Uh, and now, uh, and then you see, you know, Sam B and John Oliver and Colbert and everyone, and it's it's so. It's it, it. I don't think we'll ever just go back to things just just being like comedic without any kind of you know the right amount of yeah, undertone. This, even like you know the Steve Martin arrow through the head. It was just so silly, but it was also maybe in response to the seriousness of what came before, which was George Carlin. I don't know. Like comedies is is always evolving like that. 
That's funny about drunk history. I, I, I absolutely love drunk history, but half the time I watch it and I go, did I just learn something or did I learn the wrong facts? Have you done uh, drunk history? Uh, I haven't done it. I, I, let's get you an offer for drunk history. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love to do it. Thank you. But yes, daily show drunk history. You kind of are laughing and then, and then at the end, someone's made a point and you were, your guard was down for a moment because you were enjoying something. Prop 8 the musical. Um, I don't care what side you're on. If you watch the three-minute video of Prop 8 the musical, you learn something, and it's funny, and it's like it's persuasive. Um, if you haven't, listeners, if you haven't seen that, Google that. Go to YouTube. That's a funnier die. Is that funnier die? Was that you? Were, were you producing that at the time? That was, that was the, the geniuses uh, of Mark Shaman and okay. Adam Shankman. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a great day. That was, that was like, because I never did theater growing up, like for real, like, um, and so that like basically my first theater was just on set with like all these Tony and Emmy and Oscar winners for Prop 8 the musical. And I was just like, I was just like, oh shit, well, what? I actually, I, I thought, well, if you're going to start, you might as well start this way. (laughs) It's great. It's great. Um, let's do a last question and we'll wrap it up here, but. What's the what's the next 10 years look like? Look forward, whether it's funny or die or in media in your your position going forward. Or is it a safer question to say, what's the next year look like? Well, I, what I predict is it's only going to get harder, unfortunately. Yeah. And yeah. I think the uh, the era of peak TV spending is going to come to an end and people will need lots of content. But there's going to be way less buyers and there's going to be more consolidation over the next five to 10 years for sure. Um, so it's going to be tougher, but I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on diverse voices, inclusive voices. And I think that's incredible. Uh, and where it is for me, I mean, my whole thing is like, I just, I want to work every day to create more leverage for create the creators that I'm working with. And ultimately at some point that's going to have to require having a ton of money to put to place the bets that we want to place and not have to have someone say yes. And so that that's going to be the dream scenario. And I have no doubt we will get there. And when we do get there, it will be very successful (laughs) (laughs) because like, like uh, all the things you've uh, listed, it's, it's, it's not by accident. Like, like I, I think I've, I've been very fortunate to be able to connect with creators cause I, I, I feel those stories deeply, but I also have, I've been fortunate to be blessed with just an instinct and sensibility for what will resonate. Um, and uh, we can make a lot of people, a lot of money doing that. Cause I, I don't, I'm never been driven by money. It's, but the money gives you the ability to do more and more and make it more efficient for creators because the more efficient a, a process is, the better the product is. That was what, that was the beautiful thing about Fun Your Die in the early days. We, you could just say, you could just say yes and be shooting something the next day. I remember. Yep. We did a, a, a video with Natalie Portman and um, uh, Rashida Jones. And so I'd kind of known the girl who uh, headed up Natalie's production company. And then we happened to be neighbors with her. So, we, I, you know, I was talking to him about Funny or Dime, blah, blah, blah. You take your time. You take your time because you don't want to be too sweaty about things. And we were finally able to set up a meeting with Natalie and Rashida that Adam McKay was in. I was in some other folks. 
and we pitched them a bunch of ideas and they were having fun. And, and Natalie's just like, oh, well, this is great. But like I leave for like Paris in two days. And so I just said in front of everyone, so I was like, well, what are you doing tomorrow? Right. And even Natalie Portman had to say like, well, I'm still in L.A. tomorrow. And like she's a very smart, responsible person. She had already packed most likely for Paris. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's just shoot this tomorrow. And they both looked at each other just like, great, let's do it. And then we just went up the street to my friend who lived up the street and we shot three videos there in one day. And so that efficiency just re like just fuels, I think, the creative spirit because then it's just pure and you're not the less scars that creators have to take as they're going through it. Um, I think the, the, the better for the, the end product. And there wasn't a hundred people approving the script and a committee. It was, let's do this right now. Oh, it's the best. And like, that's what P that's what people want. And then, and so if I'm ever fortunate enough to have a ton of money to do yeah. that, then the, the goal will be to not turn into everyone else and overthink everything and just roll the dice on the people you believe in. I think that's a great last sentence. <laughs> Um, you've always been supportive of not only me, just of comedy. And I'm so glad that, uh, you, you know, I feel honored that you asked me to do this. So thanks for including another Ann Arborite. Of course, of course. And yeah. one day we'll have to, maybe your, maybe your parents have the, the missing photo of you actually as part of the Hornet roster. I don't know how many storage units your parents have, but mine have like six <laughs> and, I'm sure there's a Hornets picture somewhere in a storage unit. So, well, uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Mike. And uh, say hi to Chris as well, huh? We'll do. And thanks uh, to the Ann Arbor Summer Festival for having us. Thank you for listening to this production of the Ann Arbor Summer Festival. We would like to thank our team, including our interns, associate producer Stephanie Hicks, and sound engineer Justin Levine, our marketing and communications manager Natalie Robbins. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Nadim Azam and mixed and mastered by Elliot Saba. Me, I'm Programming and Operations Manager, James Carter. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate us, and share the joy with someone you love.